This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. The other thing, too, is that I would tell myself not to be played with worry like mm-hmm. I used to be. Mm-hmm. I, I learned uh, a number of years ago uh, the art of not worrying. Years Can you ago. tell me how to, how to do that? Hey everybody, you're listening to The Calling. I'm your host, uh, Richard Clark, the online managing editor for Christianity Today. Today on the podcast, I'm talking to Carl Ellis and Karen Ellis. They asked if they could be on the podcast together. I actually talked to them almost a year ago, and I'm just now getting around to publishing this uh, podcast. It's one of the sort of uh, collateral things that happened when we went to every, um, every other week. Uh, where we really, it's really been hard to get some of these out in time. But one of the things that's cool about this podcast is how prescient it is. It was uh, sort of right in the middle of the campaign season. You can hear us alluding to some of that, but it also feels a little bit um, relevant to today. We talk a bit about um, religious persecution, the nature of it, and um, in particular, we talk a little bit about Russia. So it's, a, it's an interesting conversation I'd suggest uh, checking out. Karen Ellis, in particular, is um, explores human rights and theology. She talks a lot about religious persecution. She's a columnist for Christianity Today. She holds a Master of Art in Religion uh, from Wester, Westminster Theology Theological Seminary. She's a PhD candidate at the Oxford Center for Mission Studies in England. Her husband, Carl Ellis, is an anthropologist. He's written uh, several books, including Free at Last and Saving Our Sons. He actually studied under Francis Schaeffer in Le Brie in Switzerland and completed his master's at Westminster, holds a doctorate of philosophy from Oxford Graduate School. They are geniuses. They're incredibly nice. They're really fun to talk to. And they have some interesting dreams that um, that I'd really uh, that I was really inspired by in terms of um, sort of leading leaders, leading cultural leaders. And, um, and just sort of using their uh, wisdom and expertise to guide those who are in places of power and platform. So I really enjoyed the conversation. If you want to check out Karen Ellis in the magazine, you might want to subscribe to Christianity Today. We offer redemptive yet honest coverage of the people, events, and ideas shaping the church and culture. As a subscriber, you'll get 10 issues, tablet and PDF editions, full web access, to our online archives. We set up a special page that allows you to give a discounted subscription plus a bonus download created especially for podcast listeners. You can get that at orderct.com slash the calling. That's orderct.com slash the calling. Just head over there to subscribe and you'll be supporting thoughtful, essential journalism and helping to continue to produce the episodes of The Calling every other week. Here's our uh, interview with Carl and Karen Ellis. So the first time I met you guys was last year here at this conference. Yes. Okay. I remember it distinctly. 
I don't know why it wasn't all that noteworthy except that we were outside and mm. you guys were just being goofy. together being nice. Oh, well, that's nice. I'm glad we're being nice. Yeah, well, that's yeah. Good. if we're not that's being good. nice, that would be a problem. You're you are, you are not rude. <laughs> I can good. I remember that. <laughs> all right. Um how long have you been coming to the legacy conference? I think this is our this is third, third year. Time? Yeah. 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 And why do you come? I don't know. It's I think the first time we came because we were invited. Yeah. But then yeah. the after the well, that's me. I just yeah. speak for myself because mm-hmm. he has a mind of his own. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> that'll be. I assume that'll be. Uh, that'll be a theme in this kind of this interview. Uh. <laughs> um, yeah, the first time we came, I came because um, uh, I was invited and honored to be invited because mm-hmm. I knew the I knew the legacy of legacy. So mm-hmm. that was kind of which uh, is what. Oh, just uh, this concept of community and a community gathering around the truth of God and vigorous, robust theology, mm-hmm. uh, but with a practical application for the urban setting. Yeah. And um, I knew that history. I didn't know all the people that were involved, but I kind of knew that it had been going on for a while. So it was, honored, it was an honor for me to be invited yeah. um, to do a workshop when Brian reached out. But then after the first year for me, um, I saw, I kind of felt the, the whole ethos of the conference uh-huh. and the... the the community and the, it was amazing to me how a conference this large could still maintain this this quality of um, family, mm-hmm. this reunion type feeling, which I really felt the next year when I came back. Yeah. And so you got, I got this sense the second year when I came of, wow, these people really actually took some of the things that I said and applied them through the course huh. of the year. Uh-huh. This wasn't just like one of those one-off conferences where you expect... There's like follow-up the next year. Right, yeah, right. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. yeah, you expect your life to change in a weekend. Mm-hmm. And they're like, no, we're going to apply this. So there was wonderful follow-up. And um, so the third year for me was a no-brainer. I also liked yeah. the three consistent three um, focuses. The first year we were here was Imago Day. Mm-hmm. Then it was Miss, uh, then it was Populous Day. And then the Missio Day. And so yeah. we're like... That's what it is this year, Missio Day? Yeah. Missio Day. I didn't even know that. Uh, no, that just shows you how something. much I'm going yeah, to the, right. to the actual <laughs> things. I've been doing this you're like, just interviewing people. the entire time. Right, right. Um, right. Karen, you're, you're about to start writing for us yeah. a column. Yeah. I'm really excited about this. I am too. You're writing about the persecuted church. Yeah. That's a good thing for us. It's a good thing for me. It's a good thing for us to have a columnist writing about it because I feel like we'd cover it so much with just sort of plain fact news. Yeah. And it's hard to know what to think. Yeah. And I, the reason I say it's good for me is because it's going to help me scratch out some ideas that I have in my mm. head and um, get some um, some things that are concerned, some intersections that I see with the things that are going on in our culture. With um, It's kind of like introducing two communities to each other, the global community and the local community, mm-hmm. where it's more than just, hey, this is this is news. It's like, no, actually, this is this is family business. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's going to help me put a spin on things that I'm going to, I think I'll, I'll learn a lot from. That's cool. Yeah. Okay, we might come back to some of those ideas, but first, we always start the podcast asking a simple question. Well, first, I want to say, how do I uh, introduce you? I'm talking to Mr. and Mrs. Dr. Ellis. <laughs> are you both, are you both, you're both doctors, right? No. No? Well, she's almost there. She's, no, she's, not okay. even almost. Well, I, I got a ways to go. Okay. She's working on her. I'm working you're on You're Dr. Her. Carl Ellis. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And you're Karen Ellis. That's right. right. And that's who I'm talking to. We asked the interview, you said, can we do it together? We said, we respect that. We can do that. All right. It's just more fun. Yeah, yeah it is. That makes sense. We like to be together. And, and you killed two birds with one stone that way. You don't have to wait for each other. That's right. Makes sense. Right. Um, so what, how would you define your callings? I would define it as uh, we, we are cultural analysts and we seek to equip people to disciple mm-hmm. the culture. 
uh, we're academics, but uh, you know, but we try to equip people to to get out there and really make an impact for the Word of God uh, out in the larger culture, and also uh, to mentor other people. So that would that would kind of you know we're called I, you know, I would see it as uh, we're we're analysts and uh, disciplers. So it is a joint call- calling for both of you. Like you guys got together and. Well, you, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you'd have a yeah. Different, different spin on it. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's like uh, we're kind of um, different chapters in the same book, okay. I yeah. guess. Yeah, sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, he's got a particular focus within that book, and I have a particular focus within that book. Right. And, and there's, there's some, some crossover. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. See, this is going to happen a lot. <laughs> <laughs> You're illustrating the Venn diagram with your speech. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, okay, so what's, what's your respective focuses then? Mine is basically on the, um, the cultural crisis, you know, the, the, you know I, the whole racial thing going on mm-hmm. is, uh, is largely a cultural thing. Mm-hmm. But people don't recognize that dimension. They're, they're attributing it all to racism when it's actually, I think, more of a cultural clash. Okay. Uh, and I can give you reasons for that. But, uh, but, but so, so I, I, I concentrate on that. Although I do have a keen interest in um, in the church, the, the church uh, worldwide, the global church. Mm-hmm. Well, then Karen comes along and she has a keen interest in the global church, which kind of overlaps to this yeah. to this uh, scene. So yeah, that's uh, that would be my uh, chapter in the book. my chapter in the book. Right. That's right. That's right. I guess my chapter is like a, kind of what he said. Uh, like my focus, I think, is becoming more missiological. So um, I'm looking at the global church, and but in particularly uh, the church under anti-Christian hostility. Mm-hmm. So I have a narrower focus than most missiologists. Okay. But I'm also looking at where that intersects with the African American experience. Yeah. yeah. Um, having been a persecuted church, um, the Africans and Europeans in American history who were actually um, they actually had fidelity to both their ethics and their epistemology, you know, yeah. what they know about God and how they put that into practice, sure. uh, having been legislated against throughout church <clears throat> history. So my fields are missiology and church history. So when did, um, when did you both figure out that this was something you were called to do? <laughs> I think from, from, from the day we met. Uh, bigger yeah. for me. Well, oh, oh, okay. no, 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 for us, together. Oh, together, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, okay. be, long before we met, we were involved in all of this. Long when you met, you probably met. realized you were on the same page, right? Yeah. yeah pretty yeah. much, yeah. It's more really, like yeah. that, that. We realized that pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 How did you, what, how was that conversation go? Like, what was it that <laughs> when you met, you realized you are on the same, we'll go backwards from there, yeah. but I'm curious, like, because that's an interesting meet-cute story, right? Yeah, Where yeah. you meet up and you're like, you care about theological anthropology too? Yeah. Okay, so let me tell you a story. So we were when we were friends, mm-hmm. we I met him in seminary, okay. right? I, I returned to seminary as a middle-aged student. Mm-hmm. And he was the dean, right? So we would hang out as friends. Okay, got it. And he was like, you know, he was the dean. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> scandalous. Sc- it was a so scandal. It yeah. was a scandal. It was terrible. No, we were just friends, and I made sure that it stayed in the friend zone yeah, as much as I could. <laughs> I kept I friend zoned him for three years. How did you do that? 
I just told him you were, we're friends. That's all we'll ever okay. be. My <laughs> wife called me her, said I was like her goofy older brother. That's what uh, she said. Yeah. I don't know why she did, did that to this yeah. day. Because yeah. she totally liked me. She was into me. But yeah, see? She did, she see? did it for no yeah. reason. Yeah. And you just you just waited everybody else out, right? Yeah. There was no, yeah, I mean, yeah. it was it was a relationship between us two. It was pretty clear what was happening. Oh, yeah. Okay, good. So she finally saw the vision. Yeah. But you knew better. I think she was just messing with me. Oh. I think she was like challenging me. Oh, hard to get. Yeah. Yeah. See, I was I was very clear. I was like, look, we're friends. That's all we're ever going to be. Yeah. But I appreciated his friendship. Yeah, but she was she was very elusive too. I was. <laughs> I try to, to feel her out to see see if she had maybe some inklings of the vision that I was seeing. <laughs> she always had a way of answering in, in, such that I couldn't tell. Yeah. <laughs> so Enta <Yeah. anti-way. laughs> What what ended up happening was from the beginning. Both of us had this interested in the in the persecuted church. And so I was working with an organization called International Christian Response, the one that I'm still working with today. Mm-hmm. And he was on the board of a ministry called Barnabas Fund. Okay. And like in the persecuted world, mm-hmm. there are like no black people anywhere. <laughs> right. Right? right. You right. know what I mean? Like not right. in the not in the advocacy part. Right. You know, there are black and brown people suffering under all this stuff yes, all over the world. But but in terms of US advocacy, yeah. you know, you go to things and it's like this sea of white folks. Yeah. So Sidetrack, like, why yeah. is that? Uh, I, think, I, think, I, I think we've been so... We have a lot going with, on in our own backyard. Exactly right. You know, right. We're, you know, <laughs> you know? We're, dealing, yeah. we're dealing with a whole lot of yeah. crazy issues. and you know, uh, right. Yeah, and that's not sense. to say that, the, that the, the white folks in the U.S. church are any more up to speed or savvy about it. I mean, it's really one of those ministries that's so narrow mm-hmm. yeah. that you're like, hi, we exist, we're over here, there's yeah. a problem, there's something going on. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it takes a lot to get attention yeah. on the issue. So, anyways, we were we both had this. We were both serving on these 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 uh, boards of agencies, and then we both had an interest in the Muslim background believer. As a matter of fact, I said to him, he's like, "What are you looking for in in you know in finding a husband?" And I was like, "Oh, I'd like somebody who's interested in the persecuted church and has a heart for the Muslim background believer, and somebody who's theologically grounded, and somebody who you know can can you know challenge me and intellectually and blah blah blah." And then I look at him and I go, "You know anybody like?" <laughs> That's so good. And she, she described me to a T. Yeah, I mean, right. I, I couldn't. And then cut it. it, cut you out from. Yeah, her, yeah. yeah, I couldn't see it. But yeah. I gave her I one of these generic it. answers. Well, I'll pray about it. Uh-huh. You know, <laughs> of course, my prayer wasn't that she would find somebody. Right. My prayer was that she would open. That God would open his her eyes. You know. Right. Yeah. So, so. eventually, after about three years, I was like, "Wait a minute, what am I doing? This works. <laughs> mm-hmm. This yeah. works really well." Yeah. And we haven't run out of stuff to talk about right. yet. Yeah. We just we. Just just talk a lot and some of our talk is you know goofy some of it's fun some of it's um, you know we sit up at night and we really think through like concepts of um, you know applying scripture to True. scripture that's tried and true we're not manipulating scripture in any way but we're like what does scripture have to say about this issue that's going on today mm-hmm. so we really try and just find those um, intersections between cultures and and epochs and mm-hmm. eras and basic patterns in scripture that we can apply basic mm-hmm. patterns right. in history because right. right. you know satan only has a certain he's, he's limited to a certain number of tricks mm-hmm. That's right. so mm-hmm. he just you when you start to look across the patterns of history you start to see the same stuff happening again yeah. and again and again like if you just even take like oppression mm-hmm. you see the same patterns emerging and you realize that he's really actually god has mercifully limited him mm. 
in his creativity, he's just really good at marketing. Yeah. He yeah. just keeps repackaging the same stuff over same and over. Same old stuff. Uh-huh. But what do the responses look like from Scripture for these people in this age yeah. and these people in this age? Yeah. And so that's that's mm-hmm. those are some of the things we mm-hmm. kind of... Right. And then there's just the regular life stuff, too, yeah. that we go through. You know, got to get an oil change, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. What do you want for dinner? Mm-hmm. Kind of stuff. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, the regular... You know, yeah. banal stuff. Yeah, taking long driving trips together, we, <laughs> and we and we found out that we really get a, we get we get along even on a long road trip of thirteen. Yeah. No, what was it, 17, seventeen hours? hours. We, just, we recently did one like that. Yeah. We, what do you do on long road trips? You like talk? You just talk the whole time. Yeah, we talk. Talk and yeah. sleep. Yeah. Golly, yeah. Yeah. Know, so, yeah. yeah. So yeah, listen, listen to podcasts like the calling. We will now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. We listen to news, but yeah. sometimes that gets a little cumbersome, yeah. too, especially today. It's kind of like, ah. Oh, yeah, it's a rough off. time to listen to the news oh, for 17 gosh, hours. isn't it? It's really, yeah. it really wears on your soul after a while. Sure. I go through periods where it's like, no more no more news in the house. But, like, you guys' whole thing is to pay attention to what's happening out there. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So how do you balance that? I just got a therapist. <laughs> did you really? <laughs> I did. Yeah. It's yeah. too much. Yeah. No, we we um we, we have a really good support system around us. Mm-hmm. Um, our local church is really encouraging and supportive. Um, I have a good support system of women around me that I can tell them, you know what, having a hard time. Uh, a lot of stuff going on. It's heavy. And um, they're wise women, wise, much wiser than me. Mm-hmm. And um, they just, they hold my hand and walk through a lot of darkness. I mean, I, I look at, when I'm looking at the, the church overseas and what they're going through, it's a lot, it's a heavy, it's a heavy situation. It's bittersweet because you see a lot of really hopeful things, but then you see a lot of really heavy things too. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I rely on the body of Christ to carry those things with me. I'm, I'm, we're both of us are really big on community. That's right. And then having a place to pour out. We have a lot of young people we coming through our house. We have a lot of young people. We yeah. have almost a revolving door in our house. Yeah, yeah. and they help by. us work out That's right. issues and That's think right. through and things. And we help them work out some things. Yeah. So does your church have like a formal youth ministry? Yeah, they do. But the, the kind of folks that we deal with, the youth that we deal with are not... Youth, youth ministry, ministry kids. They're youth they're, to they're, us. That's yeah. why they're youth to us. You know, <laughs> yeah. they're, they're in like seminary, youth. they're in grad school. Okay, got it. Yeah. They're pastoring, you know, whatever. I, yeah. I kind of pastor pastors all over the country. So right. that's a, that, that kind of, I didn't get out of seminary and say, hey, I want to be a pastor or pastors, but it just kind of happened. What do you mean you pastor pastors? Well, I mean, what pastors have issues too, like con- mm-hmm. congregants, you know, and I just kind of help them work through some things, give them advice. I mean, just yesterday. Was it yesterday or the day before? Young man called and, uh, you know, said, well, I got the situation in my church, you know, what do I do? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, here's, you know, A and B, you know, how do, how do I handle this? And we, we, I, we as a matter of fact, we both uh, contributed to uh, giving him advice. And, yeah. and uh, we, it clarified what he, he thought. It was confirmed, what, you know, basically what he thought, but he needed somebody to b- bounce it off of, you know. Right. Okay. So discipleship and community are really, yeah, really important, important to us. To us. Yeah. Yeah. And um, we... Uh, our, our home yeah. Miss, just sort of become a place yeah. where that happens. Missiology and discipleship, I guess. Would, yeah. Would be two two things. That yeah, would be yeah, but it's 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 really the sort of the place where a lot of our concepts and a lot of our mm-hmm. trials 
you know. and all those things sort of get worked out. Right. Yeah. yeah. So with all of this stuff, I mean, you're kind of called to a lot. It seems like there's yeah. a lot entailed in what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what, but with any of these things, did you ever like sort of doubt that that was something you should be called to do? Well, I think we've had, no, I don't think we doubted that it was calling, but I think we've had to put up boundaries. That's right. There were times we, you yeah. know, we, you know we, had we, to, we found ourselves headed for burnout, you know. Headed. Right. Yeah. we have to get away. You know, like, you know, we just have to sometimes enforce uh, vacations on yeah. ourselves. Yeah. yeah. We when we gotta, miss it, it's rough. Oh, my god. Somebody just asked me the other day, she was like, so describe your life to me. And I described her all the stuff we were doing. And she goes, how big is your staff? Uh-huh. <laughs> right. And I was like, staff? Uh-huh. <laughs> I ain't got no staff. <laughs> She's like, mm, you need a vacation. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, we we need um we we need accountability to keep us uh, from extending ourselves too much because right. you know um, there's only you know there's only so much you can do, and we we need folks to help us keep those boundaries up um, for self care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What does that accountability look like? <laughs> Did you remember to take your vacation this year? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. yeah. Are you that's sleeping? How are yeah. you doing? Yeah. Are you that, eating that well? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah, we're crossing a lot of time zones, yeah. and yeah. Um, yeah. and uh, it's you know it's it's hard to stay well. So one thing that we appreciate is um, folks who bring us in to speak at conferences. They 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 try and make sure that we have downtime, which mm-hmm. I really appreciate. Right. Yeah. Um, so and they they don't mind when we say. Uh, can we get a couple of meals by ourselves? Right. You know, or right. just make sure that lunches are, you know, just us, just yeah. so we can recharge and, you know, can so we, we can not be with do an interview more. during lunchtime? <laughs> oh, there you go. But this buffet you brought is yeah. fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm just really, this chicken is so good. So much love. <laughs> I now regret it. I regret oh, it. it's succulent. I went and had a portillas before I came here. Now I feel bad. Um, it's okay. We're having virtual dinner. Virtual, virtual lunch. Right. Yeah. That's right. Um, what is one of the what is the biggest struggle that you've had in in the ministry you've been doing? Oh boy, um, we have a project that we that, that we put together that we really, really, really believe is going to make a big difference mm-hmm. in. Uh, in the in the uh, stance of the church in this country and all the rest of that, I mean, it is it's incredible. Frustration is, we got everything in place, but but we don't have the funding. So you know, hmm. we're we're working on that. I, th- I think for me, that's a frustration. What's I the mean, project? It's called the Makazi Institute. Okay. Something okay. that actually grew out of our house yeah, through right, all these folks right, coming through, and they right. used to call us Black Labrie. Yeah. You know Labrie. Yeah. 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 So okay. our house, you know, was very much like Labrie. See, I, I'm a I. I was I've actually been to La Brie, yeah. and I was a, I was a, I was a La Brie student, so uh, yeah, so it, it just kind of evolved that way. And then uh, we had a friend that says you need to formalize this thing. You got to make it into like a fellowship program. <laughs> actually, she so, said, oh, she "Get said, those kids out of your house." house. <laughs> <laughs> I, was trying, I was trying to fix it up. <laughs> kind of what I would call cultural prophets, people who are who function as thought leaders out there who, who are able to galvanize the feelings and the thinking of people in a, in a more of a biblical direction. And, 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 and folks like that emerge every now and then. But it kind of happens haphazardly. So mm-hmm. what Makazi is going to do, what we're, what we're planning on doing, is to actually train people to do that. I mean, you know, it's like 
Uh, all theological education today, uh, by their own admission, they say, we want to train pastors. Well, you know, hey, praise God for that. Mm-hmm. But we need people who, uh, we need uh, other kind of ministries that will actually directly shape culture and directly influence, influence culture. So we want to put, we want to actually develop a way to, to uh, produce people or to train people how they can actually uh, impact culture uh, in, in, in a, from a biblical perspective, nudging the culture kind of towards the kingdom of God. Not that, not that everybody's going to get saved or anything like that, but, mm-hmm. uh, but, but it's, it's like cultural discipleship. So we want to develop people to do that. Mm-hmm. And so it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of exciting. If yeah. you go to the, um, we all actually have our website set up. Mm-hmm. You can yeah. check it out. It's Makazi. Institute. Can you spell that? Dot O-R-G. Yeah. Okay. So Makazi is the Swahili word for Labri. <laughs> okay. Is that true? Yes. That's true. That's okay. okay so true. let me break that down for yeah. you. Labri, uh-huh. it means the shelter. Okay. Right. But it's more than that. It's one of those words like shalom. It means it's yeah. like well-being, community, wholeness. Mm-hmm. Well, so In, um, in Swahili, it's right, it right. one of those words. Right. So, so. Makazi uh, one of our friends, who one of our young men who was coming through, uh, he said, you know, you should kind of take this out of the Swiss context. People mm. were calling us Black Labri. Mm-hmm. He said, take it out of the Swiss context and call it Makazi, which is the same Swahili word, word yeah. for the shelter. For the shelter. Right. So it's yeah. Makazi, M-A-K-Z-I, Institute, dot O-R-G. Okay. And you can look in there. There's, um, it's, we want it to be, it's a yeah. 10-day residency program. Uh, 20 days over the course of two years. Mm-hmm. So you come in the either the winter or the summer or the summer and then the winter mm-hmm. to a wonderful location in uh, Hollinole, Virginia, okay. uh, Gloucester, Virginia, that's saturated with civil, civil rights, rights history. history. Mm-hmm. And it's a, a home that a friend of ours, a property that friends of ours rescued mm-hmm. from despair and ruin. Wow. And now yeah. it's on the National Historic Registry. Dr. King wrote the I Have a Dream speech on this property, or portions huh. of it. Wow. And so you can see the property that we're going to be at. But we're just waiting for funding. We've got yeah. our faculty. We've got our, our logistics. Um, I think logistics M- are taken care of. I think that's M-A-K-A-Z-I. Isn't you that said, what I said? No, you said M-A-K-Z-I. Okay. Uh, okay, maybe my A slur. Okay. Well, we'll Here, say, let me, well, let me okay. do it. Say it, and then you can... You can yeah, I was, I was wondering, uh, M-A-K-A-Z-I? Yeah, yeah. 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 M-A-K-A-Z-I. yeah. yeah. M-A-K-A-Z-I. Okay. Institute, and then that's an institute. Okay. M-A-K-A-Z-I. Right. Institute dot O-R-G. Dot O-R-G. Great. So... That's where we are, yeah. and um, we're talking with people and praying, and a lot of folks, uh, we have a huge wait list of students oh who want gosh, to apply, yeah. Yeah. so <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. just waiting for you know the rest to all fall in place, but it's wonderful. We have the location set. We have the faculty set. We have the students ready to come. What's the waiting like? I'm, I'm kind of trying to draw out, I mean, just to be transparent, I'm trying to draw out the emotional uh, toll or non-toll, I guess, based on what the truth is. What's the emotional feeling of waiting for the funding for this thing that you know has all of that potential? This is like a pet peeve of mine. If I know there's a thing, it's mm-hmm. all lined up, it's got potential. You know, year after year, like what you're missing out mm-hmm. on by mm-hmm. not having it right come to fruition. Well, it's actually um, it's gone from being frustrating to actually being exciting. Oh, really? And the excitement for me is, uh, you know, the the Lord tells told the children of Israel in the Bible, he's like, you know, look back at what I've done, build those altars of remembrance. Mm-hmm. Don't forget, don't forget my faithfulness. Yeah. And so I look at I look at all that God has done leading up to this point and I'm like, my gosh, look at this beautiful location mm-hmm. that people are providing for us. I mean, when you look at the the website, the property is absolutely gorgeous. Right. Um, and 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 historically significant. 
Um, you look at the, the students that are interested, you know, a wait list of students saying, yeah, I want to I want to be a part of this. Mm -hmm. um, I look at uh, this faculty. I've had a whole bunch of them say, I want to be the first student. Can't <laughs> you can't all be the first student. Everybody can't be the first that's student. Right. You know? uh, and then we've got this faculty that's agreed. They believe in the project. They're world-class world people. We're not yeah. just talking local yokels here. Yeah, world-class <laughs> people. And yeah. so, um, you know, I look back at all these these altars of remembrance, and, and I find encouragement. Personally, I find encouragement in that. There have been times where it was frustrating and discouraging, but um, yeah. I just try to keep trying to look back at those little stone altars and say, okay, you know, God, you're doing God something here. That, you're building he something here. That's, That's right. right. In our broken world, it can be hard to see how Jesus is at work making all things new. That's why every day, CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive, transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear through redemptive storytelling and global reporting. Whether it's a pastor in Brazil who uses CT in Portuguese to lead his ministry, or a young believer who wants to think biblically about our culture, CT comes alongside believers to illuminate what it looks like to follow Jesus in today's world. Jesus is transforming his world. CT is equipping his church. Give a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling, global perspective, and thoughtful podcasts. Give now at morect.com equip. So, okay, I have two more questions, and I want, I want you to answer them individually, but you can interact if you okay. want. Okay. So um, what would you say is your deepest fear in the work you do? Oh, you're going to go there. Yeah. <laughs> That's the whole idea behind this podcast. That's the whole purpose of the interview. I'll let yeah. you go first. Oh, no. I still want to make somebody cry at some point. Right. I can make myself cry. Yeah. No, I'm joking. No. Um, gosh, oh, biggest, biggest fear. fear. Wow. Um, I guess my deepest fear is that, uh, you know, I will not do all the things that God has called me to do. I, mm. You know, I, I don't, I don't want to... I don't want to leave this earth with unfinished business. Mm -hmm. um, mm. uh, you know, I, I, I think, uh, you know, God has been so good. I mean, he's, he's brought us from such a mighty long way. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I really want to, I, I want to finish well. I, mm. you know, um, I, I want to. Dang. You're I giving my to... answer. Oh, no. I'll say it a different way. Okay, you Keep say it going. a different way. Yeah, I, 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 I don't want to um, leave people high and dry, that kind of thing. Uh, mm -hmm. But but I just I just want to I just want to glorify God in, in, with with my life. I mean, my biggest fear, I guess, would be that I would in some kind of way fall into some kind of sin that would cause disgrace on on the honor, you know, on the glory, you know, on the on the, the name of God or something mm -hmm. like that. I mean, those I guess those, those are the kind of fears. But generally speaking, I mean, I know God's faithful, so mm -hmm. uh, as long as I trust him, I mean, I have nothing to really worry about, nothing to really fear as such, but uh, okay. yeah. Uh yeah. I I, I would say that my biggest fear is that I wouldn't be found faithful. Yeah. Uh, I work with people on a regular basis with the underground church mm -hmm. who pay a very high cost to follow Christ yeah. and to bear his name. Can you clarify what the underground church is? Yeah, so uh, I would put the underground church under any anybody who serves in a place where there is some sort of legislated or cultural or social hostility against being a Christian. Okay. 
And the, the organization that I work with ministers to those folks in 38 different countries. And so I see people pay very high prices for, it's not that they did anything. It's not that they're being punished for things that they actually physically did. They're just being punished for bearing the name of Christ. Mm -hmm. And so I look back, I look at the things that make me shrink back in fear and they're very small in comparison, and yet to me they're very real. So my constant challenge um, lately has been, God, please, my constant prayer is, please let me be found faithful to your word, to your plan that you set out for, for your people. Um, let me be, and I know that he'll be faithful even if I'm faithless, but I really want to be found faithful. I want that to be the word on my tombstone when I die. She was faithful. Um, and I know that even in saying that, that brings, <laughs> that's like, you know, setting yourself up as a lightning rod. Right. But, <laughs> but and, I, and I recognize <clears throat> that. Um, but if that could be said of me at the end of the day, then I will have served the people that I serve mm -hmm. very well. Yeah. Um, and I will have served God very well. Yeah. What are the sort of like things that define whether a church is being legislated against mm -hmm. in that way? Mm -hmm. Like, how do you determine? Yeah. Like, did so for instance, Russia just passed this law, right, that mm -hmm. says you can't evangelize outside of the Orthodox mm -hmm. Russian church. Mm -hmm. Is that them stepping into that domain at yeah. that point? Yeah. So um, there's a couple of guidelines that we use in the um, in the, the 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 work that I do. Uh, one of them is the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Mm -hmm. Article 8 specifically states um, the parameters for, uh, human, for humane treatment in terms of religious liberties. Okay. Okay. And so though we use that as an outline. We use that as a guide. We also, in the states, we would use the Constitution as well. Okay. Um, so these are the safeguards that God has allowed to be set up for religious liberty as an inalienable right. Sure. However, the thing is, just because these documents say it's an inalienable right doesn't mean that you'll always have religious freedom, Yeah. obviously, because there are places in the world where you don't have it. Right. So um, we understand, too, that there are nations that we call restricted nations, and those would be the more extreme places where the punishments um, are legislated by the government or the government looks the other way when the punishments are meted out by the culture. Mm -hmm. And then there are hostile countries, countries under which people, uh, there, is a, there is a maybe a social hostility or a cultural hostility that limits um, whether or not you have uh, the freedom to speak or act according to your religious beliefs. Yeah. Okay, so... Um, so there's a number of different places that we that that, that uh, the the organizations that I work with use to delineate um, whether or not a country is a, a hot zone or a region. Because yeah. sometimes within countries, you can have some countries you can be in one province in India where there's no religious uh, liberty issues at all, and then you cross over into another province and you've got um, you know Hindu extremists with hostility against Muslims and Christians. Mm -hmm. Right. So so it um, I teach that. Um, part of the accounting for the differences is that anti-Christian hostility is um, politically and culturally and historically determined. So that's what makes it look different from region to region. What, oh, so it comes, it comes, it's based on what the culture and the history of a particular nation right, is, basically. Right, the way it expresses itself. Okay, Right. Got it. So what's going on in Pakistan looks totally different from 
anti-Christian hostility in Vietnam. Right. Not comparable. Right. Yeah, yeah right. It, that's interesting because yeah. when the, this is fascinating to me because the Russia thing in particular, mm-hmm. just the most recent big example I feel like is when that story came out, mm-hmm. um, it got, it was like one, it's by, by far one of our most shared pieces of, yeah. of the year. Yeah. Um, this, that news article saying mm-hmm. Russia is enforcing this. Right. And the ways I saw it being shared was it's happening, like it's coming, Russia's just like us, it's happening to us probably too mm. one day. And then we actually had this piece later on that kind of explains the particulars. That was a good piece. Yeah, I was happy about yeah, that piece. That was yeah. a really good piece. So that was what he was doing in that piece, I mm-hmm. thought, was he was um, saying, okay, these are the cultural, political, and religion and um, and um, historical elements that have gone into con- that have contributed to this piece of legislation, yeah. right? Yeah. Not that that makes it right, but this is the background right. of what's happening, right? Yeah. So that's different in every place. Which helps us to then step back and go, okay, do these things apply? Right. Right. And if not, right. what's the difference? Right, so. right. So I don't use, here in America, I don't use persecution word. I don't use persecution language. I, I say that there is a rise in anti-Christian hostility. Yeah. But we're not, we're not at that persecution place yet. So there's the World Watch Monitor list, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. There's the 50 nations, that, the 50 places where they've determined these are the places that you want to keep an eye on where there are clear religious freedom and human rights violations going on against Christians. Yeah. Then nobody ever talks about the next 10 on that list that are just on the cusp, Uh right? Russia's in that that next 10. Russia's in the next 10. Any other, like... I couldn't call them off the top of my head. I just know because of this recent story that Russia's one of those ones that you want to watch, where I would say that religious freedom is very fragile and very tenuous. So we, I was just talking about this in my last, um, my last workshop. workshop. Mm-hmm. You've got persecution, I mean, not persecution, but hostility in this country. You've got hostility deniers. You've yeah. got hostility seekers. Those people are weird. I'm going to talk about this in my column, too, coming up. Those mm-hmm. people are weird. And then you've got the, they've got hostility realists. And I think the realist understands that just because the Constitution guarantees religious liberty, religious liberty is still very fragile, yeah. no matter where you are, yeah. and it's not guaranteed in the Bible. Yeah. The fascinating thing is, when I was reading that Russia piece, is I was like, um, what Russia, what led to this is Russia taking a stance on Christianity that we, a lot of people want you, the U.S. to take, mm-hmm. which is, we own it. Mm-hmm. Like, U.S. is a Christian nation. Well... Mm-hmm. You know, we or we want the U.S. to be a Christian nation. Well, so if we can enforce it, <laughs> yeah. yeah, right, right. So, right. but then, but within the Russian context, you've still got the state church, right, and how that fits in. You right. know, what does what does what does that mean when you have a state, state church approved. determining orthodoxy? Yeah. A state approved church. A state approved it's church. It's that it's that right? comfy is, relationship between right, ch- right. church. But and is state, that right? comfy relationship? Right. Well, that's my point. You see. That's my right. point, is that I think what we're not seeing in the U.S. is maybe we won't want a comfy relationship between church and state. Right. Maybe that's the last thing we probably right. well, Russia, America's right. going to end up in the same situation with a state-approved church. Right. Right. You know, they, you know, they may, you know, a, a church that goes along with all the uh, unbiblical things the state mandates. Mm-hmm. But, and, they, but, but it, the state won't actually run the church, but the church will, you know, be under the favor of the government. Yeah. Right. As it were. As so, opposed to churches that don't. Right. Yeah. So we're trying to help the pers- the hostility realists understand some of these nuances mm-hmm. and, and dynamics 
um, going on behind the scenes that, you know, you just can't run around like a persecution seeker with your head, you know, oh, chicken with the head cut off. Oh, it's, you know, it's, yeah. oh persecution's here, persecution. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, not that, it's not that simple. It's not that cut and dry, but you really need to take a step back and trust the historians, the Christian historians, to do that work and say, these are the dynamics that are contributing to the, 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 the consequences that you're seeing in the culture. Right. You know? Okay, so I asked a personal question, and then we <clears throat> geeked out on stuff. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What's your biggest fear? In terms of my calling, it would be not, oh gosh, not like um, paying attention to the right things. Uh. Not, not um, like, yeah, because my whole job is like, what do we do now? Uh-huh. Of all the millions of things, right. what do we say? What do we right. pay attention to? What do we amplify? Right. And that, that's my fear is like devoting too much attention to like, right. to right. like Chance the Rapper instead mm-hmm. of something else. Mm-hmm. Right. And when it's not, it's not a big deal. You yeah. Know? What's so, the most important thing right, right now? Yeah. 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 At least that's what's plaguing me these days. Well, I mean, and considering what you do, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. you're directing all of our attention. Right. To, right. <laughs> to particular things. So, right. yeah, I can understand why that's huge. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Last question. Uh, another individual one. Um, and we'll start with you this time, Karen. Mm-hmm. Um, if you could get into a time machine and go back in time, mm-hmm. say, hello, younger me, and oh. then say something else, what would that something be? Oh, man. Wow. <laughs> wow that's... I, hello, younger me. Which me would I like to speak of? How many years back? He says you can go anytime. It's yeah, a time it's up machine. to you. Right. It's a time machine. I think I would go back to, I think I would go back to kindergarten. Wow. <laughs> and I think I would take little me with her pigtails and her buck teeth, because I wore braces for years. And... Yeah, it was it was bad. My my I mean, my parents were like, "We're gonna have to put you in some dance classes because the the arms and the legs and the braces and the glasses and everything was just rough." And uh, I think <laughs> dance classes were the answer. <laughs> well, dance with the arms and the legs, yeah, because okay. there was there were low, they were many, and so I would take that little girl by the hand and I would just say, "You know what? You don't have to be afraid of anything. It's gonna be okay. Hmm. Fear has been with me for a long time." Hmm. And I would just take her by the hand and I would walk her through the years and just know that her hand is being held by somebody who knows that it's going to be okay. Somebody tangible with skin on, which is what, you know, God has done for me. He's like, it's going to be okay, but I can't always feel his hand. And that's when it gets dark is when I can't feel his hand. At that time when you were that age, what were you afraid of? I think just not knowing what would happen. Um, It's not like I grew up in an unstable home or anything like that. Our home life was very stable. But I think that some folks are just some folks are given to one thing over and you know over another, and I think fear has just always been my hmm. um, my um, as it were dragon to slay or the thorn in my side. Mm-hmm. It's something I always have to go back to and check and say, you know, fear of the unknown, yeah. fear of what might happen, yeah. you know, and how you navigate that. Yeah, um, it's just something I always have to keep in check. He's really good for me. In that, because uh-huh. he's he really grounds me in reality. Because I can I can sometimes be overcome by fear, yeah. and uh-huh. so um, he's he's become my my hand with skin on in some <laughs> yeah. in some ways. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, wow, what a question! Gosh, I was I was thinking I wouldn't go back that far, but uh, yeah, 
Yeah, well, what if I can meet my younger me? How far back would I be? Um, well, you know, there are things that you gain. That there's wisdom that you gain with age. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I, it's like when I was 20, I knew God was faithful, but I didn't have my own history of God's faithfulness. Does that make sense? And mm -hmm. now I've got my own history. I got. I can look back on my own book. I don't even have to look uh, anywhere else because I know He's been faithful. I guess. Um, I guess if I can go back, I, I, I would say that uh, the times that uh, I went through crises, uh, that uh, uh, I, I would just I would tell myself uh, not to sweat it because this is a blessing. You know, I didn't mm -hmm. see it as a blessing then. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and then you know, and so when people came to, and told me, you know, when I was going through my times, saying you are being blessed. I knew they were right, but I was resentful of, of, of the statement because it sounded yeah. also like a cliche, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and I just, just I, I, back then, I just did not, you know, I, I knew I was being blessed, but I, but I wanted to see it right now. Mm. Yeah. Uh, not realizing that it, this delay would give me wisdom. Yeah. So uh, I think that I would, uh, I would basically, um, oh, the other thing, too, is that I would, Tell myself not to be played with worry like mm -hmm. I used to be. Mm -hmm. I, I learned uh, a number of years ago uh, the art of not worrying. Hmm. Uh, uh, but years can you ago, tell me how to how to do that? Well, because I real <laughs> I, I realized at the end of the day, I think reading the book of Job was really what really what really what cured me of that. Huh. You know, because Job was going through all these changes, and in, in the meantime, you know, he doesn't know that there's this thing going on between God and Satan, and God is kind of bragging on Job. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And yeah. Job was going through all this. But I admire Job in that. I mean, he, you know, he cussed the day he was born and all the rest of that. And yet, uh, he, he endured because he knew deep down inside, you know, his friends, his friends, you know, I call them the, uh, well, his friends were giving him all these evangelical cliches. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They're like, all lives matter. Yeah, right, right, right. right. Yeah, you yeah. Know, blah, 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 blah. And, uh, but, but I was going through a real rough time in my life. I mean, I was so depressed that I had given up the will to live. I mean, if I had been bitten by a mosquito, I would have died, huh. you know, and, and, and Job really, God really used Job to help me out. And then at the end of the day, I realized a couple of things, no matter, you know, one, no matter what I do, no matter how I, how hard I try, I cannot control my circumstances. Mm -hmm. You know, Joe had everything under control. You know, he had good investments. He had good family. He got he had all, and it, all, it all got wiped out. You know, um, I can't control the circumstances. Number two, no matter how hard I try, I can't control what people think or say. Mm -hmm. All right, Ooh. and uh, and I realize I can't, I can't I can't control those things. But I re realize that those things are in the hand of God. Mm -hmm. And that and the third thing is. Whatever I go through, whatever happens, God's going to redeem it anyway. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so it's going to abound to my good. So it, it was reading Job really helped me understand that in, in a different way. And I, I, I stopped worrying. Yeah. Uh, now you see why this is a good hand of Because yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. he's teaching yeah. me. It's interesting, know? though, that um, I like the idea of you going back to tell yourself it's a blessing, even though at the time if someone would have told you that. The difference is you would have been through it. Already, that's right. That's right. and I think that's the key. Is like, I think it's really valuable for people who have been through it that's and right. experienced that blessing. Yep. That's right. As a person that's who's right. had like some troubles right. in my life, right. um, I make it a point when I hear about other people mm -hmm. going through that, not mm -hmm. to just go, "It's fine. It'll be. It'll work out. No. It's a blessing," but to say, "Like, look, I get it. This sucks. This sucks. This sucks." But mm -hmm. God redeems. But this is what came that's out right. of it, mm -hmm. and I think mm -hmm. that's like a. 
I think the other thing, I think the other thing for me too is the thing that I learned is that whatever happens, uh, if if I ask God for something, I say, Mm -hmm. Lord, give me this. And, uh, and, and, you know, in the past, I'd say when I asked the Lord to give me something or uh, made a prayer request, I already had lined up my interpretation of what that's going to look like. Mm -hmm. I've since given that up. I I say, God, here it is. And I let him interpret it. I'm learning to let him interpret what it means to answer my prayer. And the other thing that I've learned, I think, that I would tell myself earlier is that, uh, is that one of the things that we, as we focus more on God, we have to learn how to be satisfied with God's satisfaction. Yeah. As long as God is satisfied with something, then okay, I'll be satisfied. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, I think those are the, those are the lessons that, uh, it could have saved me a lot of years and tears and stuff like that. But then on the other hand, I had to go through the years and tears to learn the things. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it all works out in the end anyway. You've been listening to The Calling. Karen Ellis writes and speaks on human rights, religious freedom, and the persecuted church. She is currently an ambassador for the International Christian Response. Carl Ellis is an anthropologist and has authored several books, including Free at Last and Saving Our Sons. You can follow them both on Twitter at Carl Ellis Jr. That's Carl Ellis Jr. and or... K underscore A underscore Ellis. Remember to write and review the show on iTunes. It helps us a lot. The Calling is produced by Jonathan Clausen. Theme music by Lee Rosevere, used under Creative Commons 4.0. This episode was brought to you in part by The Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.